Amen. Let's pray. Lord, how great you are. How wonderful, how mighty, how beautiful. How wonderful beyond our imaginations. Lord, we could exhaust the whole thesaurus of the the whole human language and barely even come close to scratching the surface of who you are. You're wonderful beyond compare. You're the name among all, above all names. You're the Lord of armies. You're the Lord of hosts. And you are the Lord of those who put their faith, hope, and trust in you. And Lord, I thank you for what you have done in our lives as individuals, that you have brought us here this morning to worship you. And wherever people are in their relationship with you, we know that you will meet them. If they seek you, they call out to you. It says, if we seek you, we will find you. You're knocking, and if we open the door, you're right there, Jesus. And so I thank you for what you have done in our lives up to this point, and I pray for this morning that you would be speaking to each one of us what we need to hear. The love you have for us, the grace you have for us, perhaps the challenge, perhaps the correction. Lord, whatever you want to speak to every person here, Lord, I pray that we would have the ears to hear it, that our hearts and minds and souls would be open to you, to surrender to you and whatever you have for us whether it be healing or correction, whether it be hope and joy, or perhaps temporary pain so that we can move forward in obedience to you, Jesus. And Lord, there are people that are in pain. There are people that have specially asked to have their names in our bulletin to be praying for them. I pray that you would be with them, that uh, those who have a bulletin would take it home and pray for these people. They would lift them up. Lord, that, that this church would love one another. And Lord, we, uh, one of the things I want to highlight is uh, Reverend Earl Woods, our district superintendent, Lord, his upcoming retirement at the end of July. I pray that we already know that you have a plan for his replacement, and I pray that you would be helping those in, in charge of that decision. And uh, I pray that you would bring the right person to fill that, that role. And I thank you for his work and continued work in this church, Lord, and as he's helping the board to uh, discover what's next in the process, Lord. Uh, for the church. It looks like it's a transitional pastor, Lord. I pray that you bring the right person here to help this church in moving forward, in discerning and hearing from you, Jesus, because we know that you are the pastor of this church. This is your church. And whatever earthly leader you bring, it's for a season, but your church goes on beyond its leaders. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd bless them, that you'd help them, that you'd bring them comfort, healing, and hope, and excitement for the future that you have for them. And Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to preach one last time among this church. I thank you for the message that you have given and laid on my heart. And I pray that it wouldn't be from me, it wouldn't be my words, but it would be your words to your people, Jesus. And so I thank you for what you have done, what you are doing, and what you are going to do. And we say in your mighty and precious name, amen. Well, goodbyes are hard. Goodbyes can be painful. They can be difficult. Sometimes they can be a little bit awkward. And one of, the, uh, one of the worst things about goodbyes can be if we don't know it was a goodbye. There's tons of stories, and uh, everyone, I'm sure, knows of somebody who their loved one walked out the front door, and they thought it was just goodbye for the day, but it was goodbye forever. And they didn't know it was coming. It was sudden. It was unexpected. And often in these circumstances, people are left with regrets. They wished that they had hugged them a little longer or they had said something a little different. Maybe the circumstances are that they had left in anger 
and they wish that they had said something loving instead. But there are times when we know that it's goodbye. We, we've had time to prepare, we've had things to, to think, and we've had time to reflect on some of the parting words and parting thoughts. And today we have that opportunity. I've been praying for weeks about what the last message should be as your pastor to the church family here. And for many of us, this is probably the last time that we'll maybe see each other, uh, for sure in this context, but I'm sure that uh, we'll maybe see each other around town, we'll give a nod, a high five, uh, whatever. But goodbyes, as much as they're hard and they're difficult, they're important. And the Apostle Paul uh, was an amazing person that was a world traveler. He started churches all over the new world, all over the, the known world at that time, all over Asia, all over Europe. And uh, so he had to say lots of goodbyes, lots of hellos and lots of goodbyes. And he was a hardworking pastor and a hardworking church planter. And one of the many churches that he helped to start was Ephesus. Uh, and so during his way to Rome, he was on his way to Rome, and he felt like God was warning him, this is probably your last journey. You're going to go, and you're going to have some trials, and you're going to have some hardships. And so he felt like God was telling him this was his last trip of his life. And so he had the opportunity to say goodbye. And his uh, ship stops at this port that's near Ephesus in this place called Miletus. And so he wants the opportunity to say goodbye to this church that he has started and founded and and uh, he wants to say goodbye. But he chooses not to go to Ephesus. And there's different reasons. Maybe he wasn't allowed to go. Or maybe it would be too hard or take too long to go and say goodbye to every single person there. So instead what he does is he calls the leaders that he had put in place there to come to him. So he could pass on a message. And as I was praying for this, I felt led to this passage as Paul's farewell to the Ephesian church, to the Ephesian elders, as my farewell message to all of you. So we're in Acts 20, 17 to 32 out of the NIV. Uh, as usual, it's going to be on the screen uh, behind me, but I'd love for you to, uh, to turn your uh, Bible or your iBible there. This is actually one slide ahead. There should be starting in verse 17. It says in the NIV, From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus to the elders of the church. So Paul is gathering the, the leaders of the church to this port of call. His, his boat on the journey is going there, and he calls them to him. And so because he planted the church, he calls the people who he had been co-workers in the faith. He had worked with these leaders. He had raised them up, discipled them, helped them to know who Jesus was. And he calls them. He wants to greet them. And so these people, they were pastors or overseers or elders of the church. He knew them. He trusted them. And he loved them. And he wanted to see them in person one last time. Paul would write letters to them later, but he, instead of this time, instead of writing a letter, he wanted to see them in person. And so he shared his heart with them face to face. And it goes on to say in verse 18, When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I've declared both Jews to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. So in these few verses here, Paul is basically presenting his life. And he says, you know me. 
I've been with you for several years. You know me. You know what I have done. I've preached. I've taught. He's able to stand up in front of them and said, my life is an example for you to follow. That's hard to do. Wow. How many of us could stand up in front of others and say, I've done everything I could. In the time that I've known you, I've done the best that I can. So follow my example. In another letter, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. You know, often parents, when we're kids, we say, uh, the, the cliche is, do what I say, not what I do. So we know that, that we're, not, we're not as good as we should be. But Paul, by the grace of God, was able to say, I have done my best. So follow my example. And Paul reminds them of all that he had done. He lived boldly through trials and hardships. He had persevered. He had disagreements and enemies and those who sought to do him harm. Those who sought to discredit him, who plotted against him and his leadership. And all throughout that, he led humbly, knowing that it was for God's glory. And it even says he shed tears for them and didn't hold back teaching anything that would be helpful for them. Now, I cannot stand up here and say that I have done everything perfectly over the last few years. I wish that I could. I've made mistakes and I've done imperfect things. But I would hope that I would be able to say that I have done my best. And that through this, my prayer has consistently been that God would help me to love and to lead well. And so I, I, uh, my, and then since then, my prayer has also been to give me the wisdom that I need to lead this church well. Because I recognize it was beyond my skill, beyond my knowledge, beyond my ability. But God often calls us to things that are beyond us because then we lean in and we trust him. And so if I have done anything of value and done anything well among you, don't give me the glory, give God the glory. Because it is up to God and what he has done. So Paul says he has done everything he can to teach and to preach the Lord. And then he says in verse 22, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. In these verses, Paul declares his total abandon and his total faith declaration towards the gospel mission. He says, everything that I have been done has been for God. And it's interesting enough, he says he doesn't know what's next. He doesn't know the future. But he knows, the only thing he does know is that he will have trials and hardships. He'll experience pain and trials. But he says, my life isn't my own. It's not up to me, it's up to God. His only goal in life is that the will of Jesus is done and that he finishes his race well. He says, I don't know how many years I have left. I don't know what's going to happen. Only that I'm going and it's going to be hard. But I pray that God's grace is abounds. And that God's grace moves. And that the gospel is preached. That's his whole hope. And along the way in other passages in Acts. We have people that come up to Paul. And essentially say you're crazy. Stop. Don't go there. Don't do this. And they even warn him that he's going to experience trials and pain and persecution. And they plead with him not to go. 
They say, please don't go, Paul. They try to use reason. They try to use tears. They try to use emotion. But Paul says, I can't. I can't listen to you. I have to go. He was compelled by the Spirit. And this compulsion isn't, uh, isn't forced. God doesn't force anyone to do anything. But he strongly urges them to. Paul knew in his spirit what the right thing to do. Even when his friends and his loved ones said he was crazy, he had to. So he actually was left with a simple choice. When you recognize what God's will, you're left, the choice may be hard, but it's simple. It's obey God or disobey God. And for him, disobeying God wasn't an option. And I feel the same urging in this decision. I know that some of you may not understand or may be grieved by it, but I can't help but do what I feel like God is leading me to do. I wish at times, and I've prayed this over the last month, that he would explain the journey to me. I was telling uh, Barb this morning that I wish God told me what was next, but every time I pray, he says one step at a time. And I, I don't like that. I'm a planner, and I want to know what's next. And people often ask, well, what's next? What's happening? And I go, I don't know. I only know that God is leading it, and he will tell me what to do when it comes time to do it. And so I also was left with a simple choice as Paul, to obey or disobey. But when I prayed uh, for God to reveal the journey, uh, I've, had, I've had times when I've realized that if he told me the journey 10 years ago, I might have been too scared to move. Looking back on my life and some of the things I've went through and the, the joys I certainly would embrace, but some of the hardships and some of the tears and some of the trials, I probably would have ran away scared. But God is good and he gives us what we need when we go. And so his plan and purposes for our lives, we may not always understand what's next, but we can understand who's there with us. And so if you call yourself a Christian, God has a plan and God has a purpose for you. And so follow him in obedience, and it may be hard, and it may be painful, but it's the best. And you'll be able to look back on your life and say, I have done my best. I have done what God has called me to do. I can say without regrets, I have done my best. So Paul moves on after this, and he says in verse 25, Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. He knows in his spirit he'll never see these leaders again. So he says, Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Paul is essentially saying here, I've done my best, and now I let go of responsibility of what happens next. He says, I was your leader for three years, and I did my best, and now I let go of what happens next. It's no longer up to me. And when I was praying about this, I was remembering about how when I was in Bible college, my professors, who all were pastors by vocation before they uh, became teachers, they talked about the mantle of leadership. And they said there's a spiritual burden of leadership, and it almost you can feel it as a weight. And I always thought, okay, well, it's the responsibility I can understand. And they said it's not something you really grasp until it happens. And when Pastor Neil uh, left on his sabbatical, the day when he left, I felt that weight. I felt that burden. And it has been on my shoulders ever since. And I have done my best by God's strength to carry it and to move forward with it. And today, I hand that over to the leaders of this church to hand it over to whoever comes next. That, that burden will no longer be mine. 
So whoever is tasked to lead in the coming season, that burden of spiritual leadership and oversight is up to them. I have done my utmost while I'm here, but now it's up to the board and whoever God is calling to come next. And so Paul, after handing over this responsibility, he says what happens next is no longer up to me. He gives his last and final warning. And this is important. Last words often have a strong impact. And so he has something very clear to say. He says in verse 28, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. By Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. So Paul charges them. He says, keep watch over the flock. Now, this is, this is a message that he gave specifically to the leaders of the church, to the, the elders of the Ephesian church. And the way that Paul built the ministry, the way that, that Paul was a missionary, was he would go in a city and he would go where there would be people, usually Jews or Gentiles in the courts, wherever, and he would preach them the message of hope and grace that is found in Jesus Christ. And he would explain that they're sinners that need Jesus' grace. And those that would accept, he would build a church. And once that church got big enough, he would uh, get itchy feet and want to move somewhere else. And so he would raise up leaders. He would prayerfully select those who would be the pastors, the elders, the leaders of the church. And then he would leave it in their hands. And a lot of the letters in the New Testament are actually letters that were written either to correct churches that had gone a little astray or to encourage them or to just uh, supply them some more teaching that they needed. And so Paul did this all over the place. And this is his message to these last Ephesian elders. And so he says... It's so important to keep watch over yourselves and all the flock because the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And he says, be shepherds of the church of God. And this last part of verse 28, which he bought with his own blood. Jesus paid the price for the church. That's why it's not anyone else's church but his. Jesus redeemed the church, the people of God. That's what the church is. People who follow after God with his blood. The priceless blood of God's Son, Jesus the Christ. So how important is the church? It was important enough that Jesus bought it with his blood. And so it's so important to be protective of the church and of the people in the church. And so it's his church. This is his church and it's important enough for him that he will lead it no matter who the under-shepherd is that he calls for a season. So while this church has a savior and a champion... In Jesus, it also has an enemy. The enemy is that, the one who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And the enemy comes in so many different forms. It's an external threat as well as an internal one. Paul warns about some wolves in sheep's clothing. Now remember, Paul selected these men, uh, and it doesn't say it's not women, so it could have been women, uh, leaders for the church to be overseers. And he says, even among you some will rise who lead others astray, who will be wolves. Now, wait a minute. So Paul selected these people with God's help, and he knows some of them will betray God and others. 
You know, Jesus chose 12 disciples, and one of them was a betrayer too. And so even among God's people, those who know the right words, know the right things to say, know the right forms to follow, some of them are wolves in sheep's clothing. Isn't that, that's a scary thought. But God is the protector. God is the one who is there, and God cares about it enough that he sacrificed himself to pay the price for the church. So the charge that he leaves is to be on your guard. Like Paul, I have warned you too to be obedient and to seek after the Lord and to seek to be fruitful and be discerning. And so Paul, Paul warns them not to listen to others who would distort the truth. Not to listen to others who would uh, want their own way. And actually, if you read the letter of Ephesians, which comes after this, this does happen in the Ephesian church. He even specifically names people who have sought and led others astray. And so there are some who, for their own purposes and desires, distort the truth. Maybe they use the right words, but they certainly aren't doing it in a loving way. But Paul's final comments are no longer one of warning, but they're one of encouragement. And he ultimately hands them back to God. In verse 32 it says, Now I commit you to God and to the word of His grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So in verse 32 here, Paul is handing them back to God. He says, I hand you back to God and to His word of grace. If you are faithful to Him and follow Him, you will be sanctified in Him. That means, the fancy word means to be more like Him. To become less sinful and be more holy. To be more and more like Jesus. And so he said he's handing them back to God. And so if you are a Christian, you are filled with the same Holy Spirit that Paul had, that Jesus had, more importantly, and that's in me, and anyone else who has put their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus. That Holy Spirit is in you. And so if you look at somebody else and you, you think that there's something wrong there, there might be. So pray for that person. And have your eyes wide open. Be on your guard. And so God's Holy Spirit is there. The Bible is there. And between the Bible and the Holy Spirit, you're made more and more like Jesus as you read his word and you seek to listen to what he would have you do every day. And so I wanted just the, the classic three-point sermon here in, in two minutes. Let's see if we can do it in two minutes. The three, the three things that, that we would have to personally apply out of Paul's parting words, and it's alliterated, so it's anointed. Uh, first is abandonment to the Holy Spirit. Live your whole life and surrender to the Holy Spirit. God doesn't force himself on anyone. So if you would abandon yourself to God and say, whatever you want to do through your Holy Spirit in my life, do it. You will not go wrong through doing that. Paul lived that way. Paul threw himself on God and said, whatever the Holy Spirit wants, even if it's trial and pain and hardships and ultimately death, he says, may God be the glory. And so he's listen, listen and be guided by the Holy Spirit daily. Number two, alertness to the enemies of our soul. Be on your guard for wolves outside of and inside of the church. The enemy longs to steal, kill, and destroy your soul. He, and it, the sad thing and the scary thing is he most often uses other people to do it. So don't be deceived. Remember that you can recognize God and his work in others by love. Love one another. 
And thirdly, allegiance to the grace of God. God is the God of mercy and grace. Fall on his mercy and receive his grace daily. Grace is what gets you through every day. And grace is this gift. It's this gift of love from God. It's this gift of life in God. Grace is a gift that you don't earn, that you don't deserve, that you can't earn. And so every single person needs daily gift of grace to endure trials and the hardships of life. So there you go, the three-point sermon. Abandonment to the Holy Spirit, alertness to the enemies of the soul, and allegiance to the grace of God. If you stick with God, you won't go wrong. And so church, as your pastor for this last Sunday, I just want to pray a blessing over you. I want to pray a blessing as the worship team comes forward. And know that I love you, know that I care for you, and know that I I am in prayer for you. I don't know what God has next for me, and I don't know what God has next for you. But I know that if we live in obedience and surrender to Him and His Holy Spirit, that it will be good. If we obey Him, He has a good plan for us. So would you join me in prayer? Jesus, You are Lord. You are Lord of my life, and You are the Lord of this church. And Lord, I don't know what Your plan is for me or for them, but I know that if we fall on Your your grace every day, we listen to your Holy Spirit, that we are on our guard and alert to the enemies, and we focus and listen to what you have to say, that we will be blessed. Not necessarily in riches, not necessarily in an easy life, but we will be blessed by a relationship with you, Jesus. You are so awesome. You are so mighty. And I pray for every single person here, whether they have a relationship with you or not, that they would know who you are, that they would come one step closer to you and follow you. Their lives will be so much better if they live in obedience to you. Jesus, you have a a plan. You have a purpose for each one of us here. And whether we're following you or not yet, I pray that we would come to realize that. That maybe we don't know the 12th step down the way, but we know the next step. And that's to pray and seek out to you and say, what would you have for me, Jesus? And so I pray that you would bless this church. I pray that you would bless every single person here, that you would help them to reach the lost, to seek and save, to have an abundance and overflow of those who are putting their faith, hope, and trust in you, Jesus. That they would be disciples who make disciples. And Lord, sometimes when we go, hard th- go through hard things, we can have excuses and think, well, I just need to focus on healing or I just need to do this. But Lord, we are called to obey you and to be disciples, make disciples no matter what. And so I pray that this wouldn't be a distraction from obedience to you, but this would be a time when they would gather together, love one another, care for one another, and go out and share the gospel with their friends, their loved ones, their neighbors. That this church would be a beacon of hope and light to this community that you would be building bridges into the homes around it, that people, maybe they don't know Jesus, but they would know your love through these people, Jesus. And so I pray for Larry Dahl next weekend as he's leading the AGM and um, that he's going through. I pray that you would anoint him and help him in this, in this time of helping the church transition this little bit. And I pray for the, the transitional pastor, that you would bring the right person to help this church, to, to help this church to know who they are, And to know the path forward, Lord. That all of the people would be faithful and praying for their leaders, for the board, for the district superintendent, Earl Wood, and for the the transitional pastor to come, Lord.
Be with them, bless them, help them, and may your mighty and precious name be in, on their lips and in their hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.